Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast, where you learn about advanced wealth building strategies from real estate investing to creating massive ROI and secure retirement profits. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab a notepad, and lean in. Because Big Mike has got the life starting now. Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. I'm the Big Mike. Mike Zlatnik. And today it is my distinct pleasure and a privilege to welcome my good friend, uh, Paul Moore. Hi, Paul. Hey, Mike. Great to see you again. Welcome back on the show. This is your second second appearance. And I'm honored and humbled. Uh, you're a great friend. Uh, your brother from the Collective Genius Mastermind. You have many mutual friends. So I'm grateful for you to, to, to come back on the show. Tell us a little bit about what's new in your world. How's family? How's uh, everything there? And what's new in business? Yeah, well, I got three good kids and this other kid. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I say that to irritate my uh, youngest. Anyway, now I've got four kids. They're doing great. Um, we, Wellings Capital, is launching our fifth fund. And um, my new book uh, called Storing Up Profits which is a book on self-storage, was just released by Bigger Pockets Publishing yesterday. And so it's uh, of my three books, it's the first one done by a major publisher. So I'm pretty excited. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, Bigger Pockets is a, is a big name. So that's great that they published your book. So why? Why did you write a book about storage? So I wrote a book about um, multifamily investing, and I humbly titled it The Perfect Investment back in 2016. And I thought that multifamily was the perfect investment. I really believe that. But you know what? The perfect investment isn't perfect if all the deals are 10 or 20 or more percent overpriced. Inflation may save the day for all those guys who are overpaying. But if it doesn't, I would consider that a speculation in a sense. I mean, if you have to have future rent growth. And if you have to have certain things happen in the economy just to make a profit, well, you know, there's a little bit of speculating involved. You know, they say investing is when your principal is generally safe and you've got a chance to make a profit and speculating is when it's not really safe and Benjamin got Graham, a chance to Fondro. make a profit. Yeah. You remember that. That's yeah. right. Speculation uh, investment is an operation, uh, which the safety of principle and a reasonable rate of return, everything else is speculation, something like that, the language goes. Yeah, something like that, right. And so, Mike, I actually got really worried. I, I know I don't look it, but I'm in my mid-50s. And uh, you're thinking, he looks like he's in his 70s. But let's uh, <laughs> say it's not the year that's the mileage. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, no, seriously, I, I didn't feel like it was right to take our investors' money and my family's money to plow into speculations. Look, I did that already. I remember I had a podcast you were on called How to Lose Money. And that was no fun. You were on there, right? Yeah. A long, and, long time ago, but I, I, I do remember appearing on your podcast. And that was like four years ago. Yeah. That's a funny name. Yeah. It's a uh usually how i do the podcast how not to lose money but i guess you yeah. guess how how do you lose money yeah right well we were trying to warn people about not speculating and all that stuff but anyway so we didn't feel like it was right to plow money into stuff that we you know thought was overpriced but then when we discovered mobile home parks and self-storage we didn't feel like it was right to have our investors hand us millions of dollars for something we had never done ourselves. And so Mike, like you, 
we found that the best path forward for, for us was to be a diversification specialist and a due diligence partner for our investors. Our goal, like yours, is to find the very best operators we can and then invest heavily with them. And so that's what Wellings Capital and our funds, that's what we do. Yeah, so uh, these are great, great points. I certainly am a big uh, proponent of diversification. And some people crack a joke about diversification. Diversification is for those who can't find great deals. But I'll back to differ, having been no. a fund manager for many years now, <clears throat> you just never know what's going to be a big success and what's going to be a complete strikeout. And the only way you can do is you can diversify to spread the risk among multiple projects. But of course, you got to be the best access point. You have to do the due diligence. And uh, I mean, that's that's what the fund managers get paid for, right? We, we right. got to find the deals uh, that are strong deals, not just an average deal. Investors can find average right. deals themselves. So it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. Why, let me just jump into this very quickly. So you just came forward firing some, some shells at the multifamily and uh, giving a love to storage in mobile home parks. Uh, do you really think today uh, storage in mobile homes are in general not overpriced while the multifamily on average in general are overpriced. Is that what you're feeling today? Actually, I think they're all three overpriced. So why do I like these two asset types? By the way, I never answered your question about why I wrote the book. Maybe we'll get back to that. Um, <clears throat> anyway, the reason I think self-storage and mobile home parks can, can be different is that a whole lot of them, as much as 85% of mobile home parks and about 50% of self-storage are owned by mom and pop operators. And that means they don't have the desire, the knowledge, or the resources to upgrade, to increase income, and to maximize value. And when you can find those wonderful jewels, uh, you know, those, comp those assets with intrinsic value waiting to be harvested, that's where you get the tremendous upside. So, when our, you know, the company we invested with paid 7.1 million for a mobile home park in Louisville uh, almost two years ago, they were paying a high price. But when they sold it 10 months later for 15 million, well, it turned out good. And the reason they were paying a high price is honestly, it was so poorly run and the owner hadn't even visited the place in over five years. So, um, you know, it was so poorly run that for the dollars of income at the time, it was a good price. But after he improved it, I mean, it took him only six months to get the place humming beautifully and make a better place for the residents. And he sold it for that. I mean, you know, 347% IRR, Mike. I mean, where do you find deals like that in multifamily right now? Well, it's definitely hard to find. So what you just described, what I just, just heard is a classic value add where you can look at a cap rate you're buying, you're paying for it because yes. uh, it's under um, performing, it's un under managed, right. right? I mean, that's the whole the whole drill. You could buy it at a low cap rate when the property is badly under managed and just increase the uh, operation uh, operational efficiencies, uh, increase rents, uh, clean up and improve. And before you know, you could turn the thing around at a substantial profit because of the value at work. So it's not really... Um, uh, the, the value was there. The opportunity was right. there. So it, 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 so that, that deal makes total sense. And, and um, the, I guess that's your champion. That beats my champion. We just had a deal exit in, exit in, uh, in uh, 
start in, in the hotel to multifamily conversion with 140% IRR. I thought that was a home run. You just gave, gave me that an is. example of a, of a bigger home run. <laughs> Wait, <laughs> was that in have, Virginia Beach? That was in uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Oh, man, good for you. Well, that's fantastic. That's Well, I mean, look, I actually... Uh, okay, I'm going to say something here. I hope my my friend who operated this Louisville deal is not listening. I don't think he should have sold because I can show you math for how he could have got it to 20 million in about four years. Would you rather have a 347% IRR in, in 10 months? Or as an investor, would I rather hold on for five years, make 15, 20% cash flow a year, and then exit for even much, much higher? I'd rather... I wish you would have held on. Well, that's a great fundamental question. Now we're going to dive into a little bit of an area, a little deviation, but uh, great, great that you mentioned this because I, I love this this point. So I've had this conversation many, many times. Would you rather refi upon completion of stabilization or a substantial um, uh, completion yeah. of the value at work <clears throat> and then carry hold the property for whatever, five years or longer or uh, flip it for a greater IRR? So I would love to hear your perspective. Oh. I just, let me just finish the thought here. The uh, the concept is obviously very powerful. The reason people flip in theory, right, is that you have uh, another great place to put the money to maintain the momentum, right? If you don't have anywhere else to put the money, then why sell? Uh, that's that's a pretty obvious driver. But can you think of any other uh, justifications when to sell or why to sell versus mm -hmm. why, when and why to refine and to hold? Just would love to hear your thoughts on this. It was a great PR stunt. It wasn't a stunt at all, by the way, but it was a great PR move for him to get a 347% IRR. His typical IRR, by the way, is 40 to 60%. But I would have rather seen him get a 50% IRR, which is what one seventh of what he got one seventh and hold it for 10 years. Because here's the thing. If we're going, if he's got fixed low interest debt, which many of our operators do, actually, I think they all do, uh, and they can hold it and capture inflation. Well, that's a really beautiful thing. So a mobile home park captures inflation every year, uh, you know, on an average one-year lease. Uh, industrial, some industrials, Mike, you know this, they have a 20-year lease already signed with Amazon or whoever, or a, a big factory or whatever leasing they can't capture inflation very well unless it's built in uh, with a you know escalation clause for inflation. Look at self-storage at the other extreme. We can capture inflation every month because every lease is a month-to-month -month lease. And a tenant paying $1,000 a month for an apartment might get irritated and move for an 8% rent increase, which captures inflation. But a self-storage tenant at $100 a month is probably not going to spend a weekend, rent a U-Haul, get his friends together to move his junk. I mean, his, excuse me, his treasures down the street to save $8 a month. And that's one of the things we love about self-storage. So I would, I wish he would have refinanced, given us our money back and redeployed some maybe, and then held on. Uh, but who's complaining? You know, it was a great return. And, and he's got a bunch of deals like that, to be honest. Well, certainly uh, there's nothing to complain about when that, IRR comes in on a short on a short duration flip. Uh, <clears throat> I've seen this again uh, through some of the recent exits we are seeing, we have seen already. Um, generally speaking, it's a great again PR 
and then it's a great also a way to get the cash back and redeploy if you have new set of strong deals. So I, I would I would continue to uh, I would support the sale event when you have great deal flow and quick mm-hmm. flip just gets you the, the cash and then you can redeploy. That's a great the point. Other, the other drawback of, of obviously sale is you get to recapture depreciation, you get all the profits, capital gains. You basically mm-hmm. have to deploy into the new deals, do new core segs. Obviously, mm-hmm. mobile home parks are uniquely good for for core seg. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, but as long as the money can be rolled forward without tax implications, or at least with tax, uh, you know, deferral, um, mm-hmm. then it may not be such a bad uh, idea. But I can tell you this, we have a very strong project and I spoke with a sponsor, very similar situation, multifamily. He executed half of the value add uh, between uh, a project that was acquired uh, in June uh, 2000. And about <clears throat> a year later, he had an offer above pro forma of five years, having spent only half the money. And I spoke with a sponsor. Wow. And yeah, I mean, it's wow, exactly. It's a good execution plus the market, right? The market right. Uh, from, from depths of COVID, right, a, to a year later, has appreciated quite a bit. So it was really interesting. The conversation was, do, do you basically flip and do something with the money or you refi? And uh, the, the decision was to refi, finish the value add, increasing the value substantially further, and your IRR comes down, but your overall... Um, mm-hmm utilization of the money improves. I mean, this is the other concept is the money yeah. coming back burns a hole in the pocket. So keeping keeping the money in the deal in a great deal, there's nothing fundamentally wrong with this. And like you said, upon stabilization, get a great cash flow of 15%, people are not going to complain in general, right? Yeah. Sam Zell said that he made, you know, a lot of his billions uh, in the 70s, late 70s, early 80s, with low interest rates of only seven to seven and a half percent. <laughs> and holding on while inflation did its magic. And so we are here, you know, with interest rates less than half of that now, 5,000 year lows, historical interest rates. What a great, great chance to build wealth, even if some of it's nominal in name only with inflation, you know, chewing away at the value of the dollar. But, you know, the commercial real estate investments that we have a, a part of, Mike, we're, we're truly blessed. Yeah, by the way, I'm going to go back and um, obviously support your comment on the storage. We, we do like storage quite a bit. We have uh, quite a number of investments in storage ourselves. And uh, the one of the major benefits in storage is that flexibility to raise rents on a monthly basis. Uh, That's powerful. If, if the demand is, if you see the occupancy is up, the demand is high, you could easily move the rates for everyone the next month. It's a monthly uh, rent. Uh, just to conversely, just to be very clear, not there are risks. It's not a perfect world. Right. We've seen markets where there's oversupply. When yes. there's o- oversupply and there's heavy saturation, the, rent, the, the rents could drop because yeah. so much sub- sub- supply. Terribly. Uh, I just wrote an article called Five Downsides to Investing in Self-Storage. It's not out on bigger pockets yet, but one of them, the number one risk by far is during your lease up, when you're going from zero to stabilized, uh, a big national competitor comes in down the street. They can literally drive you out of business and then buy you for a song. Yeah, that's, that's, um, that is a danger zone. And it's, it's good that we mentioned it to, for folks. So let an average investor or, or a great investor uh, think and understand it's, there's risk. There's a risk and if the market gets oversaturated, yeah. you can uh, take it on the chin big time. 
but in general, in, in yeah. normal citizen towns without massive competition, uh, this is an awesome uh, asset type uh, that is a great hedge against inflation, to say the least. Yeah. And you asked me why I wrote the book. I mean, we love self-storage and I, I'm looking at my bookshelf right now. I ordered about five books on self-storage when I first heard about it years ago. And I was disappointed with every one of them. One of them was okay, but it was a niche type marketing book. They were kind of self-published and I've self-published before and I've had errors in my book before, so I get it. But at any rate, we decided to write a, a new book on self-storage and Bigger Pockets picked it up and it was delayed a year and a half from COVID. But guess what? Wall Street Journal and New York Times just did stories, big stories about self-storage just taking off amidst and after COVID. And so actually, I think the timing was just providential. Yeah, people got to store their treasure, treasure uh, yeah. uh, somewhere uh, in the yeah, at the end of the day, at some point, like everything else, uh, the asset class uh, is going to get sort of oversupplied and some markets have already been oversupplied. So yeah. this is now no longer throw stuff and see what sticks on the wall. It is a surgery. Right. You have to be precise. You have to really do your, your due diligence in your studies and see what is the market? What's the barrier to entry? Yeah. Do municipal, local municipalities welcome or, or absolutely hate um, any more conversions of old retail to storage and so on. But in general, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's a great asset class. So let's continue to talk about your new fund. So you're launching a um, brand new fund. Um, talk a little bit about that. If I understand it correctly, you're going for the first time with the essentially um, registered fund and you're becoming an RIA. So yeah. why? why? Why go that path when you can launch 506C fund and um, uh, how many hours do you have? How many what? How many hours do we have to talk about this painful oh, decision? We only have like I'm seven minutes kidding. left. So okay, I'm just kidding. give me the executive so, summary. I know it's, it's a hard, it's a hard, yeah. but I, but so, it, it, it's going to be a really cool fund. So just tell a couple of things about this fund and and why you go into the pains of yeah. making it a registered fund. So we're going with a semi evergreen or evergreen type fund that's going to be open for years for investors to come in and even possibly have liquidity out of. That's one thing we wanted to offer that we weren't offering before. Uh, another thing is, uh, as a non-general partner, we were not a co-GP on our deals, and we didn't really want to be, um, that uh, we were actually running a little bit of risk that the SEC would come in and say, hey, you're not a co-GP. And so we think that you need to, you know, you, you shouldn't be doing this or that or the other. So we actually, our last two funds are one that we just finished a month ago, and the one we're starting about the next month are actually three C1 funds. They're 506C. They're also three C1 in the sense that um, the um, operators, uh, excuse me, the number of investors are limited to 100. People, yeah. I, I, where are the and, limitations? That's, that's not a fun limitation. We have to deal with it too. It's Oh, limits, so limits you and how many people you can take into the fund. You have to close the fund to new people once you reach that hundred people. Yeah, and so we were actually only, you know, uh, we were only a few weeks into our fund, and we had raised sixty uh, of sixty of the hundred came in. Well, what are we going to do the rest of the year? So we decided we really wanted to get something that would be open for much longer, Mike. 
And we also wanted to be able to work with accredited investors. Uh, we, the 3C1 fund structure that we chose to do limited us to uh, what's called qualified clients. That's not yeah. qualified purchasers, but 2.2 million net worth. We didn't want to do that. We wanted to go back to accredited. And so this is why we decided to go with a registered fund. There's a lot more involved here, but that's the gist of it, my friend. Makes total sense. Uh, I'll make this comment. We're working on our Temple Growth Fund too. And that's a, literally, we had a discussion with the attorney about this and we're going with 3C1 uh, qualified clients for the reasons that it's, um, it's easy and simpler, but we're limited to hundred investors. So the universe uh, and the life cycle of uh, that fund is shorter and smaller, but that's why you do a closed-ended fund. For an open-ended right. fund, what you envision, you're absolutely right. Uh, that, that structure may be uh, the best structure for you, but uh, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's compliance. Uh, I wish you absolutely uh, the best success. You're going to have to deal with all the uh, compliance mm -hmm. and regulatory requirements reporting, and uh, there's yeah. nothing permanently wrong with it. It's just an overhead. We're, we're, we're literally hiring extra staff for this and we're hiring an outsourced, you know, CTO, chief compliance or CCO, chief compliance officer, et cetera. So there's a lot involved, but uh, yeah, that's what we're going to do. And we're really excited about working with you on some debt options down the road. I hope we can partner together on that when we get this up and running. Yeah, makes total sense. Uh, good luck with that fund. Uh, launch successfully, uh, run well. And uh, so we have uh, three minutes left. So final thoughts, uh, comments. This was great. We'd love to have you back. But in the last three minutes, what are sort of the message you wanted to send to folks? Wisdom? Uh, what's the mm -hmm. best way to get a hold of you? Yeah, uh, I, I spent years trying to figure out how to get into commercial real estate, Mike. I was flipping houses and lots and did a subdivision. And um, I've tried to make it as easy as possible for others to learn more about that. So they can go to, uh, they can get my new book, uh, Storing Up Profits, Capitalize on America's Obsession with Stuff by Investing in Bigger, bigger Pockets, by Investing in Self-Storage. And that's at biggerpockets.com slash storage. And if they want more information about how to get involved in commercial real estate investing, self-storage, mobile home parks, et cetera, they can go to wellingscapital.com slash resources. And we've got all kinds of stuff on there. Um, I would say if you want to invest in self-storage, but you don't want to be hands-on, this book will really help you know how to evaluate a deal. If you want to be hands-on, you want to start your own facility or renovate an old Toys R Us like my friend did and got a huge, you know, huge return. Uh, you can uh, learn about that, at least the introductory thoughts on how to do that kind of stuff in my book as well. So Mike, thank you for giving me a chance to chat with you today. Paul, appreciate your wisdom and thank you for, for all your sharing and uh, storage is a great asset class. And for the folks, uh, Paul is a specialist and uh, learn from the best. And uh, again, go to biggerpockets.com slash storage, right? That's the website. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Thank you all very much. Uh, looking forward to have you back. And uh, we're recording this before Thanksgiving. I don't know when it's going to air, probably soon. So happy Thanksgiving. Same to you, my friend. Thank you for listening to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. To receive your copy of Mike's How to Choose a Smart Real Estate Fun Book, head to bigmikefun.com or visit Amazon and type Mike's Slot name. 
Keep listening and keep investing Big Mike style. See you on the next episode.